All right, we are in a series uh, where we're looking at some of the different things we, we hope that you guys will engage in, some, some different items, we're calling it big time, and these things, if you will lean into them, if you'll embrace them, if you'll practice them regu- with regularity, they'll help you to grow spiritually. And we've looked at things like worship and prayer and serving and these different items. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the local church. And this is obviously something I'm passionate about. It's something I'm giving my life to. Uh, But the local church is this beautiful, beautiful thing that God has uh, designed for us. And really, it's not some optional add-on Christian thing. Really, I think it's at the heart of God's intention for his people, that we would be engaged and involved in the local church. So I'm going to take you to a book in the Bible called 1 Thessalonians. Uh, if you can grab a Bible, there's some in the baskets under the chairs, and you could, you could uh, track one down that way. And then on the, uh, in the Bibles that we have, it would be page 956. Now, I started at Central in, like, on staff officially in 2008 as the youth pastor there. And one of the first series that, that we did as a youth group going through a book of the Bible was actually 1 Thessalonians. And it was during a time in my life where I was falling madly in love with the local church, falling in love with the vision of the local church that God has given us in his word. And so this book was, was profound and it shaped me and it marked me and it gave me some convictions and gave me kind of some, some bearings from which everything I've done in ministry has been guided by this reality. And we actually almost named our youth group based off of some of the things that we found here. It was so exciting to think about what happens when the people of God gather together and, and be and become what God wants them to be and become. Um, now, that being said, I'm a little bit fired up up here, and I've looked at the letter, and I'm like, I don't know where to land. I, there's so much here that I wish I could show you, uh, but we don't have time for that. So I kind of picked, I said, Let's, okay, we'll just do the second chapter. And we're just going to, you know, it's 20 verses, which is a lot, but we're just going to kind of zone in here. And if I can restrain myself, we'll stay there. We'll look at these 20 verses. Um, but there is so much here that is, that is very beautiful. And then as I was thinking, I was like, here's what I want to do. Um, right now in the life of our church, as we've moved over here to Harlem and we've relaunched here and there's new needs and there's new uh, ministry opportunities and I'm kind of pushing every week, consider serving. I'll help you figure out your gift mix. I'll help you figure out your fit and the good spot for you. Um, so I'm pushing you guys a lot right now and, and I'll have to. I mean, it's just kind of the nature of what we're doing. Uh, and there's some new initiatives coming down the pipe and I'm just going to keep asking you to do things for the sake of our church. So this morning, you're getting a break. What will happen, uh, Lord willing, is as I preach, there's just one thing that I want for you. So like the application this morning is pretty easy peasy. Like I'm not going to tell you, hey, go do these different things. Go start some kind of ministry. Go. I'm just telling you, here's the one application. Here's what I hope you'll come away with. This is it. It's just this feeling of I love my church. Like that's it. If you can walk away this morning with that, mission accomplished. That's what I hope. That you would be able to say, I love my church. And then hopefully one of the reasons why you would be able to say that uh, as I show you here from this text, is you would be able to say, one of the reasons, there's probably a lot, but one of the reasons why I love my church is because the vision for the ministry there is informed by what the Bible says. Like the vision for the way that ministry is done, the way that leadership happens there, it's actually from the Bible, and that actually gets me really, really excited. So let me pray, and we will get to work. Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to us through your word. 
We're going to see here in a minute, even in this text, Lord, that we don't just want to hear a, a mere human voice right now. We don't just want me standing up here, opening my mouth and giving some opinions. We want you, God, by your spirit, through your word, to communicate to your people. And Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us to fall in love with the local church. Lord, would you help us to see the beauty of what it looks like when, the, when leadership is doing it right. Uh, and then, Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to do that. Help, help me, help the leaders of this campus, help the ministry team leaders be, be living this stuff out in a way that instills confidence in every member of this campus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We'll divide it up a little bit. We're going to look at the integrity, the intensity, and the incentive of local church ministry. The integrity of gospel ministry. Ministry within the local church has to be done from a position of integrity. It is so important that spiritual leaders have a character about them. They have some, some guiding light, some convictions, and some principles that have been informed by Scripture so that as the ministry is being done, it's being done with a purity, with an intention of, I want to glorify God, and I want to help people. And I want my motives then to be pure, and I want the, the entire experience of life within the local congregation to feel like that's what the leaders are after. They are people of integrity. They're chasing after God's intention for them, and I can therefore put my trust and my hope in them. That is a part of why Paul is writing this letter. The church there needs to be reminded of the quality and the character of the ministry that Paul engaged in. That he was a man of integrity, that he led things out in a way that they could be confident in, and he keeps reminding them. He actually, over and over and over again in the letter, he says, you know this. You know this. And so he's just pointing it out. This is what spiritual leaders need to look like. They have to be people of integrity, and that shows up when leaders are willing to proclaim the gospel, even when it's hard. When leaders are able to say, this is what we stand for, this is what we're doing, and even if it means an inconvenience to me or my team, we're getting after it. Look at verses 1 and 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So Paul, he's this missionary church planter, and you can read about this in the book of Acts, but he goes to Philippi, plants a church, things start going gangbusters, and people get upset, and they drive him out of town. In fact, if I remember correctly, and my, my memory's not great, I think they get arrested and flogged, they're in prison, and they are singing, and more people get saved. But they get run out of town, and they go to the neighboring city, Thessalonica, and he stays for three Sundays, reasoning in their synagogues, preaching the gospel message. And then what happens is another angry mob goes into their host home. This guy named Jason, this dude Jason's putting them up while they're staying there. They go into Jason's house and they forcibly drag him out. And they bring him before an angry mob and they say, this guy is entertaining people who are creating an uproar in our city. And, and then again, he has to take off. And so now he's writing a letter to them and he's reminding them, you know, you know what we went through to be with you. You know how we were treated outrageously in Philippi. You know the, this experience that we had. And then we came to you and there was strong opposition. But here's the reality. We believe so strongly in the message of God's gospel that we came and communicated it to you, even though it might cost us our own lives. That's what he's saying. With the help of God, we dared to tell you this gospel 
in the face of strong opposition. If you want to look and see, does a leader have integrity? It's, it's the question of, will they maintain the ministry and the faithfulness to it, even if it gets hard? Even if it gets hard. Now, as I've been thinking about this, I know I'm probably not going to go through experiences like the Apostle Paul. I'm probably not going to get arrested, uh, forcibly arrested and beaten. I'm probably not going to experience the difficulty and the hardship that he did. But nonetheless, I'm preaching to myself saying, I should be ready for that. The message is so important that if it came to it, that I would be arrested for the faithfulness of gospel proclamation, I should stand with that. I should say, I'm doing that no matter what. And when somebody does that, I think that proves their integrity. So gospel proclamation amidst suffering proves that somebody has that integrity. They are following what God wants, even if it's incredibly hard. And so for me, it kind of feels like this. No matter how hard this thing gets, I am going to maintain this conviction and this commitment to the message of the gospel. So if things get sideways on teams and people get angry and people get hostile toward me, or I just wake up one morning and I go, you know what, guys? You know, starting a new campus, that's a lot harder than I thought. Like, that, this is a lot more challenging, a lot more demanding than I anticipated. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just going to move along now. No, I am going to maintain a commitment to this thing, no matter how hard it is, because the message is worth it. Leadership needs integrity. The integrity shows up in motives. The integrity has to be there in the things that are compelling people to do the ministry. And unfortunately, it's not always the case. Ministry is not always done from a, from a place of purity of heart. It is possible to be in ministry and be doing significant and important work, but to be doing it for the wrong reasons. And friends, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't just want to do ministry, no matter how successful it might appear, if the motives of my, of my heart are off. I want to be able to pursue this thing with this clear understanding that I'm doing it for the glory of God and for the good of you guys. That's what I'm after. Paul points it out here that there, there needs to be this integrity in, in the preaching and the ministry of the word. Look at verse three. For our appeal, for the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He's saying his preaching ministry is done with, with, with a purpose and with a clarity and with an integrity about it. It's not done from error or impurity or trickery. He's doing it with this clear conscience that God has commissioned him to do it, and therefore he's getting after it, and, and he's paying attention to everything that's going on in his own heart. Um, man, there are ministries right now, and I'm not picking on any of them because there's a bunch of them, but there are lots of ministries that are influential, that are successful, uh, that have a large online following, that, that are influencing Christian culture, um, but don't have integrity. I, and, and here's what we do as churches. We, we are looking I mean, all the marketing stuff that comes across my desk, looking at these other churches that are bigger, more people are showing up, uh, more things are happening. The pastor has a platform for writing and communicating and all of this. And we all look at that and we go, how can we get there? Because that would be fun. That would be awesome if we're this big influential church. And the thing that I'm trying to communicate to you this morning is that temptation is always going to be there, but here's the priority for me. Here's the conviction that I'm seeing in Scripture that I keep preaching to myself. Here's what I want. I want for everything that I do to be with a clear conscience for the glory of God and for your good. So I'm not interested in communicating error. He says, we didn't communicate 
from error. It didn't spring from error. I spend time each week pouring over the text, praying, God, please show me what your intention is here. Because I don't have the liberty to stand up here and just open the Bible and go, here's what I think, guys. I'm going to tell you what you should think and feel and do. There's an intention that God has here, and I want to make sure we get it right. I want for God to be able to look down on the work that we're doing here and for him to smile with gladness. Yes, that is exactly what I wanted my people to hear this week. So I don't want it to spring from, from error or from impurity. Uh, it's so easy to do ministry for another reason. Um, uh, actually, in the, youth, in the youth ministry, there were a lot of times where I was doing things hoping that it would lead to something different. That, that's an impure motive. I was doing ministry thinking, man, when I got the, the invite to preach at big church and I knew it was going to be online, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to start sending out links to different people that I know and respect and ask for their feedback and do some networking and different things. And here's what God is saying over that. That's an impure motive. You're not really caring for the people of God. You're platforming yourself for, for your bigger assignment. We don't want to do ministry in that way. And so I have to keep preaching to my own heart. Let's do this thing with purity of integrity. Let's do this thing in the way that God wants. I don't want there to be trickery. Uh, I don't want to do anything that is questionable. I want for you to be fully aware. I want there to be a transparency about the leadership style here. I want you to just be up to speed on everything that's going on because there is a need in ministry for integrity. Another evidence of integrity, and maybe even the place where it comes from, is the fact that God approves the gospel workers. Look at verse 4. It says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Part of the reason why Paul can have confidence and remind the church that they can have confidence in him is, the sake, is for the sake that God appointed him with this mission. He's approved by God. He's, he's ministering out of his awareness of being accepted before the Lord himself. He's not ministering to try to prove himself. He's approved by God already. But also, he's been entrusted with the most valuable thing in all of creation, the message of God's salvation. And I was thinking through, what does that feel like? And, and I was remembering how my buddy and I, we had this, uh, this arrangement where there's a doctor in Rockford who had this huge fleet of beautiful, exotic cars. And we would go there and detail the cars to make cash money. And it was, it was awesome. We loved it. We'd hang out together. We'd detail some cars. And we made really good money. And every so often, the doctor would say, hey, I want you guys to go get some supplies. I want you to go to town. And he would give us the keys to one of the cars. These things are crazy. I don't even know what they are. The kinds of cars that they are. One of them, it was a, I remember distinctly, a V8 in a, in a four-door car. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful luxury vehicle. And we get in this thing. And one time Chris lets me drive and I just remember the weight of that experience. Okay, first off, I'm, I'm like checking my mirrors 40 times. I'm looking at everything. I'm trying to be as careful as I can. But part of the reason why the doctor wanted us to take the car is because he wanted us to experience the joy of driving it. He didn't just want me to putz to the store like, you know, five miles an hour, very cautious. He's like, hey, take my car and enjoy this thing. Go get these items. So there's that thing going on where we would just, we were just flying down these, hill, these roads and it was amazing. But there was also this weight to it where you're thinking, even as you're driving, I need to be very, very careful. I need to enjoy this experience, but I also have been entrusted with this incredible vehicle that I could never afford in my lifetime. And so you drive it differently. 
Now here's what's happening with the gospel. When you understand God has given you the keys to the message of his salvation, salvation that he gives to humanity, that's a, that's a weighty deal. And God is saying, I want you to experience something of the joy of being a communicator of this. But at the same time, there's a weight to this. That you have the ability to open your mouth and share with people the message of salvation. And it can change an eternity. And that changes the way then that somebody would do the ministry. A person with integrity recognizes they have been entrusted with the gospel. At the end of the day, we want to please God. Look at verse 4. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Integrity says, I want God to be happy. Now, the truth is, this is harder than it sounds. My primary love language is words of affirmation. So I get home on a Sunday, and I always am like, hey, Ash, uh, what'd you think of the message? And what am I doing? I'm fishing for compliments. Hey, what'd you, think of what'd you think of church today? And I'm just trying to get, because I want to be pleasing to you guys. There's a part of me, this impure motive, that really does care and worry about how you guys feel. And this is a reminder, a pure motive in ministry is ultimately just caring what God thinks, communicating in a way where God is pleased and not too concerned with what people think because God is testing our hearts. And when you communicate the gospel, it's not always going to be, that was the best message I've ever heard. It's not always going to be, yeah, that was amazing. I just feel so inspired. There are going to be times where it's challenging, where it's offensive, where it's hard. And at the end of the day, I have to be committed to the things of God and willing to suffer displeasure from you guys. And even for preaching, that works that way. For leadership, it works that way. When you lead, there are times where people aren't going to be happy with decisions that are made. And I love what Eric Geiger said. He tweeted this out. It's been a few years now, but, but he was just pointing out, you're, you're, if you're a Christian leader, people aren't always going to like you. This was, this was his tweet. He said, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. If you want to make everyone happy, you just sell ice cream. Then everyone's going to be real happy with you. But if you're leading the people of God, there are going to be experiences where people go, I don't, I don't like that. I didn't appreciate that. But we need to please God. And we need to care about that more than we care about pleasing people. He says in verse 5, you know, we didn't use flattery. We didn't speak in a way. There's a way to do ministry that's charming um, where you just, you're, you're talking to people and you're paying very close attention to them. And a part of the reason why you do that is because you want them to like you. And then that platforms you to be bigger in their eyes. And he goes, look, we don't do that. We, do, we don't do flattery. We, we weren't too interested in that. He said, we, nor are we greedy. Verse five says, nor did we put a mask on to cover up greed. God is our witness. He's not saying, look, I'm doing ministry for the sake of the money. I'm doing ministry because it helps me to, to get more resources. If people want to bless the church, that blesses me. That's why I'm doing this thing. No, no, no. He says, look, we're not greedy. We are doing ministry for your good. And that's got to be true of me. It's got to be true of our ministry leaders, not looking to make tons of money off of this thing, but having integrity and pursuing integrity. So again, look at verse six. We aren't interested in praise. We're not looking for praise from people nor from you or anyone else. Our approval comes ultimately from God. When you have that, you can do ministry with integrity. You can care primarily about what God thinks. Okay, that's the first thing. Local church ministry needs integrity. I will continue to pursue that and pray for that, and I would ask for your prayers for me 
and for our leaders as well. Here's the second thing that we see here. There is an intensity in gospel ministry. There's an intensity in gospel ministry. There are things that need to be pursued relentlessly. And this might surprise you, but the first one is gentleness. Look at verses, the end of six and end of seven. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority, instead, we were like young children among you. Here's what he's saying. He's the boss. He's the founding pastor. He's an apostle. And when he comes in and he communicates to the church there, he doesn't come in in a heavy-handed way. I'm an apostle for goodness sake. Why don't you listen to the things I want you to do? Instead, he's saying, I came to you like a child with gentleness. I came to you with this posture of, I'm not going to be assertive of my will and what I want. I'm going to come to you like a little child and I'm going to be gentle. The more I read the Bible, the more I see this as one of the most important features in a spiritual leader. Gentleness. There has to be this gentleness about leaders. Elders are called to be gentle individuals. I think it's a disqualifier that if you are, you know, full of, you know, machoism and bravado and you're heavy-handed in the way that you lead, I think that, according to the New Testament, seems to put you in this category of you need to be tempered by the grace of God before you should be leading people. You have to be gentle in the way that you approach people. So one of the strategies for leadership here, one of the things that I pursue is I want to be gentle with you. I want the way that I communicate to you to be life-giving and inspiring. And when decisions are made, even if they're hard decisions, I want that to be done in an environment of grace and open communication and where you just feel loved through that entire experience. Gentleness is important, and I think we should go after that with intensity. Another intensity that we see is the intensity in care. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He's, he's giving us the simile. He's saying, like a mother, a nursing mother cares for their child. That's how spiritual leaders care for their people. And it's this very intimate picture, but it's giving us this sense that Paul is sitting around wondering about these people that he loves. A, a, a mom who's nursing, I was at a wedding last night, I was doing a wedding last night, and I was talking to one of the guys there, and I was like, hey, is your wife coming tonight? And he said, yeah. Uh, and I said, are your kids coming tonight? He said, well, one of the kids is going to stay home uh, with grandma, and then the other kid is coming because that, that child is nursing. The whole schedule of a, of a nursing mother revolves around the child. And even when the mom has to leave to do something else, a a huge strategy is put in place for the care of that child and, and a plan is devised for how to get back to that child as soon as possible. I think that's what spiritual leadership should look like. That we are always thinking, I'm always thinking about you and wondering how can I get back with them? How can I spend time with them? How can I give them and care for them Well, how can I give them what they need and care for them in that way? And I think that's the picture there. He's saying, look, this is so true that it showed up in the sharing of our lives. We didn't just come and preach. We opened our very lives to you. And I want that to be true here. I don't want to be this remote figure at the McChesney Park campus where you go, yeah, that dude, he stands up every week and he talks at us, but I don't know anything about him. I want my life to be open to you, to where you know this is the kind of individual that he is. When we spend time together, he's not, he's not private. 
He's open about his flaws. He's open about his struggles. He's open about his life. He's sharing his very life with us because obviously he loves us. Ray Ortland said recently, a pastor can be known or impressive, but not both. You can be impressive as long as you kind of put the filter on your life. But if you want to be known, people are going to be endeared to you. And I think that's an important thing. There's an intensity in care. There's an intensity in work. Verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. The work is worth it. There's hard work to be done in local church ministry. It is absolutely worth it. Whatever the cost might be, it is worth it. There's a work to be done. Now, the truth is, people can be lazy in ministry. Somebody told me once, one of the best places for a lazy person to hide out is a pastor's office. And that's true. You have, to, you have to be self-motivated. You have to be engaged in that work. And Paul's able to say, look, we toiled. We labored day and night. We did this thing in order to make sure that the ministry went off without a hitch. There's character work to be on display as well. Verse 10, it says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, right, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. He's saying, look, look at our lives. Examine our lives. We worked hard while we were there. We conducted ourselves with integrity. We were careful in the way that we went about this ministry. We were intense. There's intensity and encouragement and comfort and urging, verses 11 and 12. He changes now to this um, metaphor of a father, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Part of the way that, that it shows up is, is um, the leaders have to be concerned with each individual. Just like a father looks at his household and he goes, every child needs something from me. And I'm going to figure out the best, most effective way to inspire that child to become everything that God wants them to be. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to have words that, that build them up. I'm going to comfort them. There are going to be moments where they have a boo-boo or an owie or they're going through a tough season, and I'm going to be there for them, giving them comfort, but I'm also going to urge them and instruct them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. And so like a father, spiritual leaders need to be people who are pouring into the individuals of their congregation for their good. And I, again, I'm committed to this. I'm trying to build systems where this can happen at a larger scale with more and more people. So there's intensity in the local church ministry. Here's the last thing I want you to see. There's an incentive to local church ministry. And this will get weird, so bear with me. Um, three things. One of the incentives of doing local church ministry is getting to see God at work in your lives. It's just the pleasure of doing it to be able to stand up here and then to hear the stories of how God does something in each of your lives. It is, it's incredible. It's mind-blowing, really, to think about how that works. Look at verse 13. It says, We also thank God continually, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. He's saying, look, I get to witness the fact that the ordinary communication from a man to a people has become hijacked by the Spirit of God. So you receive the word, not just as some dude talking and sharing his opinions, but it's really God taking his word and communicating it through an imperfect vessel, but accomplishing his purposes. 
That happens here, and that blows my mind. God is using my mouth, which I'm not even good at using, and he takes it, and he communicates to you by his word, and it changes people's lives. That's insane. That is insane, but God is pleased to do it. So I'm happy to tell you that sometimes people will come up after church, and they will say this. They will say, God spoke to me today through that message, and I'm happy about that. I don't I, I know I'm a words of affirmation guy, so I get kind of puffed up when people are like, hey, you did a great job. But at the end of the day, if you're saying God spoke to me, then I'm happy. Because if God is speaking to you, that is insane. It is incredible that God would do that through ordinary people like me. And that's what he does. That's an incentive of gospel ministry to watch God transform people's lives by the power of his word through the ordinary thing of communication. It's wild. Here's another thing. Another incentive is that um, doing local church ministry gives me the privilege of seeing how God is at work in you as you're faithful. Here's how Paul says it about that church. He's saying, you were faithful even when it was hard. It's such a joy for me to be able to look and say, look at these individuals. They are faithful to God. They're going through really hard seasons right now, and they're maintaining their fidelity to their love to God. They are keeping after this thing. What a privilege that is for me to watch that on display. And in fact, it is so impressive that it inspires other people. Back in chapter one, we hear that their, their faith is becoming famous in the region because it is resounding. It is going forth from their city. I get to watch you be faithful in your lives. That's an incentive for me. Here's how he puts it in verses 14 and 15. For you know, brothers and sisters, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. He's saying you were faithful even in persecution. You, you remain steadfast to the things of God, even when people were trying to harm you. That is a joy. When you live your life very intentionally for the glory of God, and I get to watch that on display, that's an incentive for ministry. That's worth it. It's worth it. And I have that joy of doing that. And here's a, just a little aside. As you look at this, man, the gospel's unstoppable. They killed Jesus. They, they, they persecuted all these different followers of him, they ran them out of town, but the gospel marches on. And here we are this morning as recipients of it. The gospel is unstoppable. We can go through whatever we have to go through. God's word is effective and powerful, and his gospel is triumphant, and we're on the right side of things, so let's just keep marching forward with confidence. All right, here's the weird stuff, um, and I apologize for this, but listen, one of the incentives of doing local church ministry is this beautiful relationship between the pastor and his people. And it's going to sound weird, but I get to gush over you. And if you're not a touchy-feely person, and you're like, dude, I just wanted to come to church and sit in my little chair and do this very private thing, that's, maybe this isn't the place for you, because what I'm seeing is there is this intense relationship between the pastor and his people. And that's an incentive for me. Uh, there's intense longing. Look how Paul describes it. In verses 17 and 18, he said, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we, we wanted to come to you 
Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked the way. Here's what he's saying. I am so in love with you that when I was unable to be present with you, physically there with you, my heart was longing for that experience. And I was coming up with a plan to get there to you because I so badly wanted to be with you. My heart ached for you. My heart was longing for you. So there's this incentive of the love between a pastor and his people. And I know this is weird. Some of you guys are new here and you're like, what did I get myself into? But listen, I am so happy that as I pray about this thing, God keeps giving me this bigger and bigger heart for you guys. So I think about you guys and I'm looking at, you know, this list and some of your photos from different things that we've done. And I'm looking at you guys and I'm praying over you guys and my heart is moved toward you. Um, and and that is, that's how it's supposed to be. You're not just some audience for me to preach at, but you're the people of God that God has called me to. And there's this relationship that should be growing then, and it should be kind of, you know, gushy, like lovey, ooey, gooey stuff. And that might be weird, but it's also awesome because God has arranged things in that way that the pastor should love intensely long for the people that God has called him to. Here's, here's how it ends, and this is just breathtaking. I didn't know what to do with it when I was doing student ministry because I couldn't imagine these students being uh, this, but you guys, man, you guys are, this is awesome. Look at this, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Do you know what that means? Paul is saying, when I stand before the Lord of glory himself, when I stand before Jesus Christ, the thing that he's going to celebrate in is actually the church that he helped to found, the people of God. And he's going to be able to look at them and go, you guys are my glory. You're my crown. You're my joy. He's going to look at them and say, this is what it's all about. You guys are it. You are my hope, my glory, my joy. I have that privilege of saying that about you. That when I stand before the Lord Jesus himself, I get to say, here's my crown. These people that I've given my life to in this ministry toward, the, the integrity, all of the integrity, all of the intensity, all of the work that was done was for the sake of them. You guys are both the goal and the reward for faithful local church ministry. You are not just a crowd of people that I'm trying to use to build a platform for myself. You're the point. And the ministry that we do here week by week is to help. It's for the glory of God, but it's for your good. It's to build you up in the image of Christ. And you are my joy. You're my glory. You're my crown. And I'm very, very happy with that. You guys are awesome. And I love to get to do this together with you. And I love the thing that God is doing between us. I love the, the future that we have together. This is just a very, very special thing. And this picture then of local church ministry I think is beautiful. So I hope you're able to say, I love my church. I love my church. And I love the vision of ministry that we have there. Let me pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would help us to fully embrace the, the high calling that you've given each of us, Lord, as members of the local church. This is no small thing that we're doing here this morning, God. You gather your people together and you build them into a spiritual house that bears your name and displays your glory. 
And you have arranged things in a way, Lord, where you get to develop this intense relationship between spiritual leaders and the people. And I count that a privilege and an honor. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in our love for each other, Lord. I pray that this would continue to develop and do exactly what you want it to be. Lord, would you help us to have integrity? Let everything that's being done, let it be done from pure motives that honor you and help people. Let us engage in the work of ministry with intensity, being gentle and careful and encouraging and comforting and urging and instructing, Lord. Let all of this be done in a way that honors you. Lord, thank you for the gift, the incentive of this work. People's lives are being changed even today. Thank you for the joy of watching that unfold and for the crown and joy and glory that we have here. In Jesus' name, amen.